A couple of quick announcements. Um, if you have uh, under eight-year-old sons, uh, first or second grade boys who are interested in baseball, there's about four teams that have been formed and um, uh, all the information that you need to um, get your sons on those teams are on your tables uh, in this little handout. You might want to take a look at it and and of course, the website is there where you can go. And, and Kevin Weeters is here too, so you can check with him if you have any questions. Um, the other thing has to do with the 28th, which is the, um, as you know, the 25th anniversary of, actually, it was the 10th of February, which is the uh, actual date. The first worship service was on the 10th of February. But um, we're celebrating that 25th anniversary on the 28th, which is a week from this coming, 10 days away, 11 days, uh, a week from this coming Sunday. Uh, I, I've, I had someone tell me just tonight that they had trouble registering. They tried five times to get on and couldn't go through. Uh, I'm sorry about that. We, we have somebody in the back here, a Gene Elliott, who um, is, is fairly good with a computer. Um, uh, not real good, but fairly good. And uh, she can get you registered. In fact, uh, I was even told that you can just leave cash um, and your name, and we'll register you ourselves, and you don't even have to worry about a computer at all. Um, I, I don't blame you. Those things are, there's a devil in every one of them. Um, but they're, they're back there for you, and uh, you can take care of that tonight, and it'll be very simple and bloodless. Actually, that's the way we did it. I just wrote a check and handed it to Brent, and, um, and then they registered me because I, I have, I get the apoplexy going uh, those things. Okay, uh, uh, let's go back to Galatians chapter um, 4, and um, let's try to at least finish up a paragraph. I've been trying to finish this paragraph for three or four weeks, but there, um, uh, there was some, uh, some things that, that deserved our attention, at least I hope uh, you, you agree. Um, but let me, let me just start with verse 6, and this is what we're going to try to cover tonight and finish up this paragraph. The whole section, of course, has been about sonship. It's been about adoption. And um, uh, uh, he's, he's winding up his argument when he says in verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Um, So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Now guys, I, I have tried to point out on several occasions, uh, this section is about sonship. It's about uh, the way we view ourselves. Uh, it's important the way you view yourself. It's, import, it's important the way you define yourself. And this section is, um, is trying to lay the groundwork for you to see yourself as a son, not a slave, not, a, a, not, not uh, someone that is tyrannized under law, but you're a son. Now, it, you'll notice that his final stroke of argument, uh, he says in verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. <laughs> now, that's really the, the statement that I'd like for us to, to look at tonight, um, God has sealed the deal. This whole redemptive work of his, he has sealed it um, by sending the Holy Spirit. I, I would have you to note this. You will notice that it's God the Father who sends the Holy Spirit in verse 6, 
And up in verse four, it is God the Father that sent the Son. God sends the Son in verse four. He sends the Spirit in verse six. Uh, Another reference to the Trinity, um, which has become quite the topic these days in, in in view of the whole Islamic question. Okay, but the, the, the part I want you to notice is he sends uh, his Holy Spirit into your hearts. <laughs> and, and at that point, ladies and gentlemen, the, the, uh, the Christian church gets all apoplectic. Uh, there's such confusion that seems to swirl around the ministry and role of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to try to clear that for you, clarify that for you in 30 minutes. Um, I am going to try to do it in a, in a more lengthy way this summer in a, in, in, in a two-hour uh, segment. But um, we'll tell you more about that later. But tonight we only have 30 minutes to talk about trying to clear up this thing that, the, that God has sent his, the Holy Spirit into your heart. Let me just give you an example of the confusion. Are you ready? Why do you then say, invite Jesus into your heart? Doesn't it say there that the Holy Spirit is in your heart? So, I mean, that's just one place where the confusion, I'm going to show you a couple of others, uh, where the confusion um, with the Holy Spirit and his role exists in the the minds and the hearts of of the Christian church. So let me see if we can just clarify a little bit of that. If if I can reduce some of the chaos when it comes to the Holy Spirit, um, it'll, it'll be beneficial, I hope. Gang. There are two major roles that the Holy Spirit plays in this, this, this redemption process, okay? Two major roles. One of them is regeneration, all right? Now, that's the board's fault. I'm just telling you, I did, I, I, that's fairly legible. Uh, but that word up there is regeneration, that's one of the roles that the Holy Spirit plays, okay? The other one is in the realm of sanctification. Now, guys, this is where we get all funky. I mean, because we get those two things confused, I guess. For instance, this work of the Holy Spirit is monergistic, that God got you, didn't it? This work of the Holy Spirit, excuse me, that's a one, is synergistic. Now everybody knows what that means, right? <laughs> Gang, the Holy Spirit plays a role, and you see it being mentioned in verse 6 of, of Galatians 4. God is, because you were sons, he has sent the Spirit to seal this whole thing up. Um... And in, in, in the Holy Spirit plays a role in regeneration, which is a monergistic act. That means that God does it by himself without you. It's mono, one. Uh, that's an act that God does. The work of the Holy Spirit in sanctification is a synergistic act. That is, you cooperate with God the Holy Spirit in bringing about this thing called sanctification. Hey, by the way, there's this other role that the Holy Spirit plays when it comes to the Bible. You know, he inspired that thing. But we're not talking about that tonight. We're just talking about these two things. 
um, the Holy Spirit's role in regeneration and the Holy Spirit's role in sanctification. And if you can get those two things separated out, I think it will really clarify some stuff for you. I really do. Let me just, let me just, let's just wander around the scriptures for a minute, all right? Let's start with Titus chapter 3. Okay, this is, this is a great statement. Titus chapter 3, um, it's a clear definition of the gospel, but it's also a clear definition of this part. And I don't know about clear, but it, uh, you can make that decision. All right, Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, let's start with 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. <coughs> Pardon me. He saved us, not because of works uh, done by us in, um, in righteousness. Okay, you got that. Um, you know all that. He didn't save us because we worked well. He saved us according to his own mercy. You know that. There, there's, that's the gospel, guys. Uh, you didn't earn this thing. He saved you according to his mercy. Now, notice this next clause. How does God save via his mercy? By the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit. You, you see, guys? Do you know that, uh, I tell you what, let me, let me write some of this down. Um, uh, Titus uh, 3, 5. That's just, that's just, that's just technological, technology gone bad. Um, Titus 3, 5. Or um, the, the one that I love is in Ezekiel 36, where he says, I will put my spirit into their hearts. Guys, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. By the way, let me give you some synonyms for this word. If this is too big for you, if this is too big of a theological term, all those theological terms, they scare me, you know, I don't like those things. Okay, then this term, here's a synonym, born again. You know that one. I mean, Jimmy Carter made that famous. Um, we're born again Christians. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there's, there's, there's no other kind. If you're not born again, you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're born again. You know, that's just, that's tautology at its worst. Um, uh, but, guys, um, so, born again, rebirth. I'll give you another one, which people don't get, but um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's a regeneration, for, that's a synonym for this word. Um, Mark chapter 1, verse 8. I baptize you with water, says John the, um, uh, John the Baptist. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with uh, fire and the Holy Spirit. Guys, that's regeneration. That's a monergistic act that God performs when he exchanges a heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh and you come to life. Um... Um, this is the thing that produces union with Christ. Guys, we could really spend a whole lot of time, um, and I hate, to, I hate to take your time doing this, but let me, um, let me just show you one. If you'll go to Romans chapter 6, Romans 
um, famous passage, uh, Romans chapter 6. I'm going I'm to read you five verses out of Romans 6, beginning at verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin uh, still live in it? All right, here we go. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized? Now look at it, guys. Baptized into Christ Jesus. Um, uh, and Jesus, we're baptized into his death. If you were if you were baptized into Christ Jesus, you are baptized into his death. Uh, we were buried, therefore, with him uh, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, uh, we'll be raised from the dead. All right, guys, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration, you are brought into a union such that you are associated with Christ's past and his future. The past was you were uh, baptized into his death. His death was your death. You're in union with Christ. Do you get that? But just as he was raised from the dead, you were baptized. I mean, you're in union with him and will be raised from the dead as well. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit, guys. Notice the word baptism is being used. You know? Do you get that? I mean, that's one of the major parts of the, the Holy Spirit's work. And, ladies and gentlemen, I would suggest to you that the reference in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, when he says, and God has sent his, his spirit into your hearts, he's referring to this. The Holy Spirit has exchanged that dead rock of a heart you had and has given you a live one. Now, that done... That's only done once. Okay, that doesn't get repeated. Um, but then, because in the life of the regenerate Christian, sin still exists, the Holy Spirit doesn't perform this and leave. He stays. He takes up residence. A permanent residence. You know, you've heard the term, the indwelling Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Now, having brought you to life and brought you into a union with Christ, that means you're a saved person, my friend. Then he, he stays and begins this work of making you into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's called sanctification. That's a, that's a one-time thing. This is a lifelong thing. This is a whole process. This is once, this is a process um, of growth in grace, you know? Gang, this is the one clear evidence that you belong to Jesus Christ. See, this is taking place in you because he took up residence within you. And if he took, he started with this, stayed around and set up shop and is continuing to help us battle our own sin 
And there's a bunch of it, isn't there? And so that's what the Holy Spirit is doing now. This, this, the fact that this is going on in you is evidence that he's in residence, which means he also did this. But see, guys, let, let, let me show you another place where, the, where all of the confusion comes up. To me, what I'm about to put up here is just downright hurtful to the people of God. But I'm telling you, I would bet 97.6% of you have been taught what I'm about to put up here. But it's confusing. It's ultimately hurtful, I think. Okay? It's this. That spiritually, there exists three, three kinds of people. I meant to make those circles all the same size, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> It didn't work out that way. Um, so just, just make this one a little bit bigger, all right? But then I'd like to erase that. But if I erase that, then I've got a big mess up here. And so, I mean, I, I don't want anything to mess up my board <laughs> since it's so nice and pretty. Okay, all right, guys, this was taught you. This was taught you. There are three kind of people in the world. You know, there's a throne in, the, in every, every heart. That's a throne. Now, in this fellow down here, Jesus is outside of the life. And I mean, there's just a wreck of a life. And, you know, he's got just all these kind of problems and, you know, just as he's a wreck. But then there's this other person where Jesus comes into the life, but he doesn't get on the throne. And you've still got all these problems, but you're saved and that's the, uh-huh, you were taught it, weren't you? It's the carnal Christian, the carnal Christian. But then, of course, there's those really special folk like you, where Jesus is on the throne of your life, and everything, they, they, they have these nice little dots that are all in place, you know. And, and over this guy, I mean, he has fits of anger and I mean, it's in the little booklet that you were taught. Um, fits of anger and depression and rebellion and disobedience. And all. That's why these, these, these dots are everywhere. Now, guys, that is harmful because ultimately it confuses you. Let me show you how. Let me ask you a question. Those of you, oh, by the way, this is a Christian. This is a carnal Christian. This is the spirit-filled Christian. Tell me, all of you, the, the half a dozen of you out there that are the, the, the spirit-filled Christian, is your life in nice array like this? <laughs> Everything's under control, and you never have a fit of anger, and you never lose your temper, and you never bark at your husband, and you never... Uh, you never um, you know, say a bad word, and you never, you always drive with the others in mind. Is that, is that you? Where does this human being exist? He doesn't exist. No, ladies and gentlemen, um, to tell you that there's this guy over here that exists, you know, he's a say person because you got Jesus in the circle there, you know. But it, there's absolutely no evidence of this taking place. And for me to then tell you that that's a redeemed entity 
is downright harmful. It's harmful in the sense that, oh, I mean, you can, you know, kill the president, shoot the pope, um, uh, uh, have multiple affairs, be on drugs, and, and steal money from the bank, but I'm just a carnal Christian. <laughs> but then the other option is that Jesus is on the throne and everything is just rosy. Neither one of these exist. You know, I mean, here's what exists. God in his monergistic grace, sovereign grace, gives you a heart of flesh. By the way, I'm telling you, you've got to see it. Go to Ezekiel chapter 36. By the way, Ezekiel 36 is considered... The Old Testament version of John 3. You know what John 3 is? You must be born again. Well, the, the Old Testament version of that is found in Ezekiel 36. Now look at it, guys. Uh, let, let's begin in verse 24. Uh, just a couple of verses. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into in your own land. Here we go. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I, I will cleanse you. And I will, look at it, guys. Look at it. Look at the words. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Okay, stop right there. Don't leave this passage. Just stop right there. What you've just read, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I'll put it within you and I'll move the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's this. Now look at the next verse. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And that is this. Gang, this stuff doesn't exist. But here's what does exist. And by the way, look at that, look at that Ezekiel 36 passage. Notice, who is the operative agent in all of that going on there? God is. It's monergistic. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to gather you from the four winds. And then I'm going to take out that heart of rock that you got that's deader than a doornail and I'm going to give you one that lives, that pulsates with life. And then, having done that, the Spirit who did that through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, Titus chapter 3, the Holy Spirit who did that is going to unpack his bags and he's going to stay. And the evidences of his staying is he will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So once that's accomplished, then he moves to do this. Altogether different phase of the redemption process, process ladies and gentlemen. He starts with this. 
And then he takes up this and stays for the rest of your existence. But he never produces this, ladies and gentlemen. And to suggest to you that this exists is downright cruel. Because you go out there and you are driving down Poplar and somebody pulls in front of you and you scream something that my wife will not allow me to say in this room. <laughs> and, um, and you think, uh-oh, that one just kind of got out of whack there. I better get that thing back up here. Or something. It doesn't exist, ladies and gentlemen. But you were taught that. And you bought it. And it's, and it's created untold confusion in the minds of the people of God. Ladies and gentlemen, there are, two, there are two classes of people in the world, the saved and the unsaved. Now, there's all kinds of various differences in our progress, yeah. Um, and let me say this too. Um, that process goes faster or slower as you cooperate synergism with the Holy Spirit in this sanctifying process. Okay? Now, so guys, it, once and forever, once and for all, you can expunge from your vocabulary, I'm going to invite Jesus into my heart. By the way, guys, I'm not opposed to that statement because it's so unbiblical, because it's really not that unbiblical. There is a statement in, uh, where is it, Colossians, Colossians 2, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The reason I'm opposed to the statement is because it doesn't say anything. When you tell somebody to invite Jesus into their hearts, what have you told them? Tell me, what did you tell them? What, what substantive conclusions can I draw from such a silly statement? Invite Jesus in my heart. Mm, okay, now what does that mean? You know, I, I mean, I'm opposed to the statement because it's just, it confuses. Tell them to transfer their trust from idols onto the finished work of Jesus Christ. Tell them to do that. Um, but once that's done, then we start this, this process begins. But, and, and, you know. Now, guys, I'm going to do one other thing. I got about nine minutes left. And um, I'm just trying to show you that there's, there's confusion when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Not only did, did this confusion, or no, this thing happen, which confused us, and then they invite Jesus into our heart, that's confusing, and that, that confused us. Let me give you the other one that confuses us, and <laughs> then I can, I can make everybody in here mad. Um, you know, I can cover the whole room, you know? Gang, um, um, there are a couple places in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit is depicted in visible form. Um, one of them is in the baptism of Jesus, you know, in the dove descends, um, and the Holy Spirit you know, descends. There's another place in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit um, is likened unto a, you know, a, a little flame, a little tongue of fire or something like that. By the way, we don't know that it was on the head. The text doesn't say head. It, the text says that they were seated and it came from above. And, and we, we kind of conclude that the Holy Spirit didn't show up on the elbow. The head. 
Okay, but if you went to the Baptist bookstore, all the pictures have the flames on the head. And I'm happy with that, but just, just to tell you, the text doesn't say that. All right? But those are, those are visible depictions of the appearance and the, uh, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Okay, are you ready? <laughs> those visible manifestations of the Holy Spirit's presence have ceased. <laughs> Um, guys, if you don't know how controversial that is, uh, then you need to, you need to get out more. Um, you know, the whole neo-Pentecostal movement of the, uh, of the seventies and the eighties and well, it's kind of died down these days, but that, that was, that was just, what I just said was a, uh, you know, those, them's fighting words, the visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit's presence have ceased, and many would say that so have his distribution of miraculous gifts, like the speaking in tongues. (laughs) Gang, um, all I'm saying is we come to a text in in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, that talks about God sending his Holy Spirit, and I'm telling you, the, the Christian churches were just confused. We're confused because of this thing. We're confused because of the whole neo-Pentecostal movement. We're confused because of language that is imprecise. We're confused about what the Holy Spirit does. Now, guys, there's a huge argument, and I don't have time to give it to you, about the cessation of miraculous gifts. And it really got its um, theological impetus from this book. B.B. Warfield, Counterfeit Miracles. Very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you want to take this on, you go right ahead. (laughs) This guy's a genius. And this book is excellent. Now, but may I say to you, there may be, in, in my, what I'm saying, I, I'm, in, I'm in pretty much agreement with B.B. Warfield. But I would suggest to you that the Holy Spirit may choose to do things any way he'd like to choose to do them. And there may be occasions where he is... Um, where he's doing things that I simply cannot explain. <laughs> now, let me give you, let me give you the, the, the thumbnail sketch of the argument. But guys, there's a whole argument out of 1 Corinthians 13 that is genius. I don't have time. Uh, I'll tell you what, you can come to my class this summer and I'll, and I'll explain it to you. Um, I'll, I'll explain the argument. I, I don't know whether you're going to buy it. Uh, that's your call. But here, here's what... Here's what um, it's, it's not the biblical argument. It's just kind of the analogous argument. When you plant a tree in your backyard, um, you do certain things to make sure that that tree takes root. You, uh, you put a little fence around it so the dog won't knock it down. You, uh, you put this little you know, plastic pipe down there so that you can get water to the roots. and Maybe you just put a little plastic jug or something. And uh, you fertilize it. You fertilize it and put nice, you know, mulch around it. 
And because uh, you want to make sure that, that you're going to give that tree time to take root. But 10 years uh, into the tree's establishment, you can take some of that stuff down. I mean, you can take the stakes down, you can take the little fence down because it's, you know, it's in there. I mean, that, that tree is it's, it's, it's rooted, it's, it's on its way. What Warfield is saying is that when the church was being planted, before there was a, um, a, a uh, completed version of this, that God did things to make sure that his church got planted. And so he came alongside the church and did all kinds of miraculous things to make sure that the church took root. But once this was completed, there was no more need to aid the church because everything that she needed was right in here. (laughs) What Warfield says is that the, the, the miraculous ceased with the closing of the apostolic age. That is, um, when, what's the last book in the, that was written? The book of Revelation. About when? About 9095 A.D. By whom? John, an apostle. And with John's death, the apostolic age came to a close. And the book, it wasn't completely organized at that point, but all the letters had been written. And with that, God removed some of those aids that he, um, that he provided the church to make sure that she got rooted. That's, that's generally speaking the argument. It is one with which I am in agreement. However, I would like to say to you, there are places in the world where the church is not rooted, she is not flourishing, and no telling what God will do to establish his church in those, those uh, frontier settings. Uh, I mean, he might raise the dead for all I know. Um, so I, I, I'm trying to leave some wiggle room uh, for God to do whatever he sees fit to do. The Holy Spirit can choose to work in a way that does not conform to my definitions. Got it. All I'm trying to do is lessen the confusion that exists in the people of God once the Holy Spirit gets introduced. We don't know what to think about it. And uh, him. Um, don't call him it. It's, he's, not a, he's not a power or a force. He's a person. But the Holy Spirit gets mentioned, and we just we 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 get all muddled. So I'm hoping you understand after he inspired the Bible. He did that. But um, he, he works to save via regeneration. He takes up residence and produces this process of sanctification. And that is the redemptive assignment of the third person of the Trinity. By the way, one of the proofs that the Holy Spirit is God is that he dwells in the heart. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't do that unless you're deity. And that's just one of the proofs of his deity. Let's quit. Our Father, I pray that your people will be able to sort some of this out uh, and some of the confusion in their own minds. 
and might they be able to rest um, more, more serenely as they have a little bit of better understanding of the great work, the, the great era of the Holy Spirit now that Jesus has ascended. The, the, the dominance of his role in the life of the church and the life of the individual believer. Would you help us to uh, not simply understand, but enjoy and prosper from, um, uh, from thinking more clearly about what the Holy Spirit accomplishes in our souls. We commit, that, we commit the evening to you, and we do so in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen. Okay.